It is a great joy and delight to be able to open God's Word and to seek the Lord that he would minister his Word to us as his people. And it's a privilege to be able to, um, to preach that Word this morning. I'm very humbled and grateful for this opportunity, and there's no greater joy than to lift up our, our eyes and to see that the fields in the world are white unto harvest and send forth laborers into the harvest field that we might reap. And so if you turn in your Bibles, I'd be most grateful if you would turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses 50, 67 through 79, and I believe it's on the screen. And uh, if, if you'd be willing, as Pastor Sean has got us in the habit of standing for the reading of God's Word. So if you'd be willing, please. Um, the context here is the birth of John the Baptist, and Zechariah has not said a word for nine months. And the Lord has opened or loosened his tongue so that he can worship him, and this is his song of praise. Uh, now his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. And I can't read the last, next line. So, um, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Thank you to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, which he emphasizes a second time, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the, through the tender mercy of our God, with which the dayspring from on high has visited us to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we worship you and praise you and thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ, who is indeed the light of the world, the eternal Son of God, to give us hope. All around us we see the dust of death on everything around us, but we're thankful that in the light we see Jesus Christ, and through Christ we see you as our Father. And so we pray, Father, that you would please lift up our eyes to see your glory, to see your, your, that you are holy, holy, holy. You are worthy to be praised, and we fulfill our purpose of existing as those made in your image to worship you. And so I pray that you would bless your word to our hearts and to our souls, that you would restore our souls by your word and by the good shepherd, that we might give you greater honor and glory. Thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to us now. 
Uh, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated, please. In the days of Zechariah, indeed, they were dark days. They were days in which uh, the people of God were under the authority of Rome. And what is most striking from this hymn of praise is Zechariah's concern that in the gift of his, of his son, John the Baptist, that they would be freed from their enemies so that they could worship. That was his greatest fear, and that is that uh, the Roman government was restraining them from genuinely worshiping the living God. And as I pondered that, I realized that is the case really throughout the world. If you've, uh, Pastor Sean gives us this Voice of the Martyrs prayer journal, and we, Mary Jane and I prayed through it, and I don't know, we prayed probably for 100 countries, and, and how many that are, are restricted or uh, persecuted, and it's, it's shocking how, how many nations where the gospel is forbidden, um, where Bible translation is um, restrained. And so we, we live in a dark world that is uh, so much of the world is without the light of Christ and without the gospel. And, and, and so it's, it's striking in reading this passage from uh, Isaiah, I mean from uh, Luke 179 that the greatest concern is that the Lord gives us, uh, he, he gives us the freedom to truly worship him uh, without fear, even of the government. We can worship him without fear. He's a holy, holy, holy God, but we can come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's a delight, it's a worship. It's a delight to worship the Lord, and so it's a privilege to worship with each and every one of you, and, and I'm so thankful for each, each of you in your presence this morning as we um, submit ourselves to the Word of God. So our God promises to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death from Luke 179. That's the theme verse for this month for our missions conference, that the, the, the darker it is outside, the brighter the light shines. And there certainly is a darkness settling over our earth. Not that it hasn't always been there, but uh, there is a greater intensity to that darkness. And so that's really to be seen as an opportunity to shine the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and we do this as a congregation through Missions Month. It's so encouraging. Each one of these flags uh, represents a country that we have missionaries serving. We don't have all of them, but... Uh, but uh, I was so moved to see the Ukrainian flag come in over here. That, uh, and just the joy that we've supported through your faith promise, we've been able to support John Olia Powell as they've served there for, I don't know how, at least over a decade, I would guess. And, uh, and we have other contacts there too through ministry in, in Israel. You know, I've been able to speak to a pastor who has daily contact with the pastors in Ukraine. 
and has been able to give details as to what is happening there. And so we, we see that it is the gospel that brings light into this dark world. And this promise in Luke 179 is, is, um, um, is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, where the darkness back then was a fear of an alliance And, uh, and Ahaz, the king of Judah, was afraid that they were going to come and to destroy his nation. So that was his fear. So the darkness is really expressed through this fear. In one case, it's of another nation over invading uh, the children of Israel and Judah. Um, in the other, it's the oppression of the government to keep God's people from worshiping. And so what characterizes our own day is, is an enormous amount of fear, anxiety. And so there is a darkness that settles over our own nation and world as well. Uh, I, I mentioned about the fear of being unable to serve the Lord in Luke 1, 74 and 75, uh, that we should to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Uh, I just love that portion of that song, that we might serve him without fear. Certainly reverence and awe. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, so it's not that it's without fear, but it's a, it's a certain kind of fear. It's reverence, it's awe, it's uh, humility and brokenness that uh, what does God want from us but a, a humble and a contrite heart. So indeed there is a certain kind of fear, but not the servile uh, fear of, of, um, of dread and anxiety in his presence, but we have the greatest freedom in being in the presence of the Lord. To be in the presence of the Lord is the greatest joy of our lives that we can experience. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart that we might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our lives. So this is the context of this, uh, that the light shines brightest in the darkness. Uh, indeed, Jesus Christ was the light of a new dawn to enable us to serve the Lord without fear. It's because he came not to condemn the world, but to save the world, as we read in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so this is a great mystery, and Paul calls it in 2 Thessalonians, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of rebellion against God. Why would anybody rebel against God? I was naive enough to think early on going into ministry, if I could just explain the gospel clearly to people, if I could um, persuasively, you know, exalt Christ, that uh, everyone would believe. You know, I mean, how could they resist 
a God who loves them and cares for them. How can they resist that? But it was stunning to me because oftentimes I would feel like I've done a really good job of presenting Christ to this person. And I never had anybody come to faith in Christ when I thought that. I thought, man, if I were them, I would believe. <laughs> and I don't understand why this is so hard. You know? <laughs> and so it's a, it's a bit of a mystery to me. It was a, it's a lot of a mystery. But it's, it's what it says here, and that is because uh, if, if a person by their very nature loves to do rebellious, godless, and doesn't want God in their life and in their mind and in their heart. They love the darkness. And so um, they scatter when the light is turned on. They run back to the darkness. And it's a mystery. It's a wonder. But what it points out to us is there is a tremendous war between those who are willing to submit to Jesus Christ and those who rebel against him. It is a war. And we see within our own country an increasing despising and hatred for anything that's godly, that uh, wrong is called right, and what's righteous is called unrighteous or, or evil. And it, it's, a, it's, a, it's tearing this country apart increasingly. The, the war is, is intense. And it runs through the hearts and minds of each and every person all around us. But in pondering this theme of darkness and knowing just from my own experience, you know, as I've grown more frail, that there's two things I hate the most, the dark and being alone. And so I read in, in Jude, in the second last book of the Bible, in Jude, that those who do not know him will be cast into outer darkness forever. Now, I don't know how that matches up with the lake of fire and other things that would generate light, but. Uh, all I know is to be cast into outer darkness forever causes me to shudder. And it has given me a greater empathy, or, or I don't know if empathy is the right word, but uh, awareness of those that do not know Jesus Christ face an eternal hell in outer darkness forever, not to mention the other things that, that Jesus talks about that, uh, with regard to, to hell, the lake of fire, uh, weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Uh, all, all of it, you put it together, it sounds really terrifying. But being alone in outer darkness, nonetheless. You don't want God in your life? You can live without him forever, in eternity. That's jaw-dropping to me.
parable. And we just need to recognize the horrendous danger that those who do not know Jesus Christ are in and give us a greater motivation and desire to minister the gospel of Christ. We are not able to save anyone, but we are called to go to every creature. And if we can't go, then we send somebody else. <laughs> we support them so that they can go. And, um, and th that's what this month is all about. I, you know, I plead with you to come and listen to the testimonies of what God is doing throughout the world through those whom we've had opportunity to support for these past decades. It's extraordinary, um, you know, what the Lord is doing. And it gives us great encouragement that even though there is a greater darkness hovering over our nation, as evidenced by the fear and confusion that we see all around us, as we see that lawlessness abounds and community is shattered because um, love and compassion have grown cold, reliant upon government or whatever to, to show that compassion instead of doing it ourselves. You know, even as Jesus prophesied in Matthew 24, 11 and 12, that uh, in the end times, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You know, compassion, care. Oh, it's not that people may not feel, have twinges of compassion, but genuine compassion that's going to cost you something. That's a different story. So Christ's church is light in the darkness, is what Jesus teaches us. There's true connection and community in Christ. The, the only real connection that you can have with other people is through Jesus Christ. Even as God's Word tells us in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. In our God, in Christ, there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. See, there it is. We have fellowship. You have real community. You have real connection with other people, with those who, who, who are cleansed by the blood of Christ. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so it is only amongst, it's, it's only in the, in the light of Christ, you know, as it's ministered in a community that we refer to as a church, and I know the term church has become much more institutionalized and, and, and distant, really, from community. But uh, the community is what's really the light of the world. It's not just, yes, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yes, we, we learn that, and, and we rejoice, yeah, when, and we rejoice in that. Yeah, each of us needs to let our light shine. But... Uh, um, you know, I guess as these stadiums have demonstrated, if everybody, what do they do? They light something, their phone, or I don't know, if they light something, and, and, and it's amazing. I mean, how much light do you have if, if everybody is shining a small light? And so, you know, to be in community is a far greater witness than just by ourselves. 
And so we heard testimonies this morning from, uh, from those of you who have been involved in the uh, college ministry on Franklin Street that we've had the privilege of supporting with, through Josh and Anakari for these past years. And, and what the constant continual theme was, you know, I learned community. I learned that I could pray with other people out loud. I learned that I could, you know, you know how to walk with the Lord. But we learn it in community. We learn it by looking at other people who are models, who are examples. And we say, oh, if they can do that, I can do that. By God's grace, I can do that too. And, um, and we're stimulated. We're to stimulate one another. Well, that, that's the contemporary translation of Hebrews 10.35. But I, I like the older translation. We're, we're to, uh, um, oh, what's the word now? Um, provoke. We're to provoke each other to love and to good works. That, that means that, you know, you're really part of a body when, to some degree, people annoy you. And I've thought about this a long time. You know, why is it that we need the church? Because we need to be stimulated to love and to good works. When we first started our care group ministry, I would assign people to, to care groups. And people, people, you know, folks would come to me and say, oh, I really don't want to be in a care group with, care group with such and such a person. But, you know, by the end of the care group, they'd come back and say, you know who I learned the most from? the guy that annoyed me the most you know, at, the, at the outset. And I, I learned to care about him or her or whatever. And, uh, and so, you know, I've, I've you know, observed this over the past 47 years and realized that uh, friendships that are made in care groups have lasted for decades. Um, and why? Because when, we're, we're in, we're, when we are in Christ's presence, we can admit who we really are. I mean, in order to get into the church of Jesus Christ, you have to admit you failed. Amen. I'm a sinner, and I'm trusting in Christ alone for my salvation, not in anything that I can do. I mean, how many organizations do you get in when you say you failed? I mean, if you were to apply to a college or something and say, you know, I failed all through high school and everything, so would you accept me? You know, probably not. <laughs> you know, failure is one way not to get into whatever. But in Christ's church, we have to admit that we have failed. We have failed God. And, and grievously, even as believers who have been loved with an eternal love in Christ Jesus, we still sin against his love and his grace, which is even many times worse. And so we come to the Lord's table. And what are we confessing? Well, we're to examine ourselves uh, and, and to acknowledge that we have failed. But we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sin, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we have real connection with other people because of Jesus Christ, not just a superficial connection, not just something based on something temporal or having a good time or whatever, but genuine care and connection. And, uh, and so our community, our, our nation is dying for community. Especially young adults, are, they're, they so long for community. They don't know that they fit anywhere. And they despair on life. Unfortunately, there's so many that have despaired on life because they don't have any real connection with any other person. 
and it's such a grief. And so Jesus teaches us that collectively, not just individually, but collectively, we are the light of the world in Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. No, he's addressing his disciples. He's not just addressing individuals. He says, you collectively, as his disciples, are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's a community redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. A community of confessing failures, sinners, confessing our need. And it's when we are broken and, and hurting that God shows himself strong. As a community, we proclaim the excellencies of our God. Um, the, the word for excellencies here is really almost untranslatable. It's the virtues, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you, but you collectively, he's not talking about you individually, he's, he's talking about us collectively. And not just our own congregation here, but together with all those who, in truth, name the name of Christ, with other uh, churches glorifying Christ. And what an encouragement to hear from Pastor Sean that said there's 75 churches or something that involved with the, with the celebration, the evangelistic celebration, something like that. You know, I'm praying that we'll have revival long before we ever see Will Graham here. Amen. Because the churches are getting together to pray together. And I've never seen it in our 47 years the way it is taking place now. Um, and I believe that that revival will um, take place. I believe it, and I prayed for it as long as we've been here, for it's 47 years, it's July, that, um, that the Lord will send forth revival. And I believe that he, he is doing a work in our region that will light a light for the gospel throughout our, not only our community and region, but our state, our nation, and our world. Because this has been a critical location. Um, you know, we're not called the battlefield district for nothing, you know, so. <laughs> and uh, there's been a lot of conflicts in this area. And so the healing may come from our community as well. Um, and so we see the testimony of Christ's church and what's happening with all these congregations, these 75 or I don't know however many are involved. And we see being fulfilled before our eyes, even in our own community, 1 John um, chapter 2, verse 8, where where the Bible promises us, again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away. In a very real sense, things look more grim than ever, but the darkness is passing away. Amen. And the deeper the darkness, the greater the explosion of light will be. When the Lord sends forth revival to our region, to our nation, to our world, it'll be stunning. It's happened in the past, and it can happen again. Um, 
because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So don't despair. The darkness may be very dark, but the light, the true light is shining. And so what are we called upon to do? To walk in the light as he is in the light. Ephesians 5, 8 to 14, our God instructs us. For you who were once darkness, and you can reflect upon your own life, where there are times that you walked in the darkness. And now this is addressed to Christians. So even as Christians, we can walk in the darkness, you know, fulfilling the lusts of the flesh and of the mind, just as those who live in the darkness. But now you are the light of the Lord. He is pronouncing to you in Christ and in his church. You are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So be consistent to who you are. Don't continue to walk in darkness. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You see, that's the cutting edge there. Is it's a matter of confronting sin. It's a matter of confronting uh, those who walk in darkness. And not just saying, you know, live and let live. No, we desire to confront what is sin. And I admire so much those throughout the world who continue to serve the Lord and, and going through this voice of the martyrs and how in every country there is a ministry of the gospel, there is a, uh, a remnant, so to speak, that are proclaiming the truth, living it out in community, in Christ's church. And so there is still a light that is shining there. And so our witness as the light of the world requires active living faith. You can't just cruise to heaven. No Christian cruises to heaven. Being a part of Christ's church isn't being a part of a cruise ship or something, you know, that, where we try to have entertaining things and, and, and feed you a lot or something. You know, that's, uh, that, that's not, I mean, we may still do that, but uh, <laughs> at, at some level. <laughs> but, uh, but on the other hand, it is a matter of, of uh, recognizing that we are in a war, that we are in a battle, and so it's going to take some effort. No one goes to war without experience. And uh, matter of fact, that, that's what the pastor yesterday uh, in Israel said. He just grieves because he, he's, he grew up Russian. I mean, he, he was actually from Belarus, but, but he grew up and served in the Soviet military. And I was staying in his house, and I saw a picture of, of him uh, with one of those hats with the earmuffs and, and all, with the, with the huge red star. And I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, is that you, Leon? <laughs> I can't believe it. I'm standing in somebody's house that was in the Soviet military. I mean, it was like stunning <laughs> all of a sudden to me. I just, I mean, I knew he'd done that, but seeing the picture was, was stunning to me. But he, he says he's just so grieving because um, he, he says, he said that the, those who are serving, who are fighting against the Ukrainians, have been uh, drafted or, or you know, forced to do so. And he says, they're not trained. They only serve a year, and they're not adequately trained. And then they go into, the, like, the National Guard, and so they're called up to, 
to go fight in Ukraine, and they have no choice. Uh, they're forced to do it. And he says, they don't even know what they're doing. They haven't had adequate training. They're not prepared to do this. And so he was saying that there's, um, I don't know, and I don't know how accurate, I'm just quoting him. There's 5,000 Ukrainians that have been killed, 5,000 Russians. And, um, and so he's grieving for the people of Russia. They're, they're suffering just as the, well, maybe not, maybe in some ways because they're fighting a war they don't even want to fight. But I suppose Ukrainians are fighting too, and they don't want to fight either. So anyway, there's not enough training. So you need to be trained to be the light of the world. It's not going to just happen. I mean, you have potentially in you the, the Lord Jesus Christ, but you have to let the light so shine before men, as Jesus says. You, you have to intentionally, purposefully uh, speak up. Your silence is a guilty silence. If you can share the light of Christ with somebody and don't, And so the Bible tells us, for you who were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, walk as children of light. And so you've got to exercise yourself. I mean, walking is exercise. It takes effort. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, that's your daily responsibility. What will please the living God today? How can I serve him? How can I live for him? Help me to bear witness or not bear witness, that, that's too religious a term. Um, how, how can I reflect Christ's love to people around me today? How can I do that? Um, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. You know, we're too compromised with the world around us. Um, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake. Now, this is written to Christian people. So this is written to us, to me. Awake, wake up, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. From the dead? And Christ will give you life. I thought I'd already risen from the dead when I came to faith in Christ. Yeah, but there is an element of by faith. You have to have a living faith. The just shall live by faith. You're not just saved by faith and then you just check that box and go on living your life as you did before. No, we're, we're, we're saved. Um, we're, the just shall live by faith. Awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. And again, we read in Romans 13 the same challenge that we have to have an active faith and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to wake up or to awake out of sleep. So this is written to Christian people too, man. They were a sleepy bunch, weren't they? For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. And so it's time for us to arise and shine. And the glory of the Lord, from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3, arise, shine, that this is the challenge to us as his people, to wake up, to arise and shine. What I love about this time in... Uh, in our mission's focus, this is a time of revival because the first thing we're asking for you to do is to um, submit your life to, to 
recommit your life to Jesus Christ. Uh, we, we don't call it a revival, but it is really a revival. To revive us, to see the glory of the Lord, and to recognize the need that the world has around us for the light because they are living in um, sorrow, loneliness, despair, and they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Arise and shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. And this is written to the, to the children of Israel collectively, not just to an individual. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, the deep darkness, the people. But the Lord will arise over you as his people. But the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. And the glory of the Lord will arise upon you as you rise up to glorify him. So it's time for us to arise and shine. So don't, you know, when I, when I was writing this originally, you know, I just go through a word study on the word light. And so um, I had some verses left. I didn't know quite what to do with it. And, and it, it, it stunned me and made me go in a different direction totally because I wanted to encourage you, you are the light of the world. And so I came to Psalm 107. And uh, the whole Psalm, uh, I mean, it has the early verses I, I just love. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Uh, oh, that men would praise the Lord and to give thanks uh, for his goodness to the glory of men. And, but then I read on further down, and this always puzzled me. Now, those who are redeemed, the psalmist goes on to address and says, those who sat in darkness in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised, where are we? And despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore, he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. I always thought that was unbelievers. No, this is written to the, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. So he's talking about us who know Jesus Christ, but yet we have rebelled against his word. We have resisted it. And as a result, we're bound in affliction and irons, the affliction of uh, being controlled by our sins. And uh, one of my favorite songs that isn't generally considered to him is, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than to be held in sin's dread sway. And how many of the Lord's people are held in sin's dread sway in spite of the fact that they've been forgiven, cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, new creatures in Christ, but yet still willing to continue in the ways of the world, the ways of darkness and in the shadow of death. And so this is written to Christians. This is written to believers. And so he brings, he does bring down our heart with labor. And they fell down and there was none to help, seemingly. But then, this is the difference. As a Christian, they finally woke up and they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. So the fact that we have yielded to the flesh and yielded to whatever sins and are bound by them isn't the end of the story. He does deliver us when we cry out to him. But as Christians, we cry out to the Lord. Lord, deliver me. 
It will be glory when I see Jesus face to face and I'll be like him and never sin again. I will never do anything to dishonor or to displease him again. That will be the happiest time I could ever imagine. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. And so what is it that, that, that uh, lets the light shine? It's giving thanks to God for his goodness. And so whenever we complain about um, our situation, you know, we're expressing that God hasn't been faithful to me. And so I'm in this terrible situation. Why me? Whenever we complain about Christ's church, whenever we complain about other believers, do they annoy us? Yeah, I mean, God intended for them to annoy us at a certain level, as we read in, or as we see in Hebrews 10 35, that, uh, yeah, they will annoy us. But there are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we recommit ourselves to those who trouble us and annoy us. We don't just disappear. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. He sent his word and healed them. It's one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. As he sent his word and he's healed my heart over and over and over and over again. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And so we see that uh, uh, we let the light shine by giving glory and praise to the living God. And so the Old Testament concludes with Malachi 4, verses 2 and 3. But to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. I'm not sure you want to be fat like stall But anyway, what it's saying is that you'll be content. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. And so how, how is it that we are the light of the world? It's, it's not a matter about pushing ourselves forward, or, or being proud about ourselves being the light. It's a matter of exalting Christ. He's delivered me over and over and over again. When I cried, he's always, always, always answered. So why do I worry so much when I have a Savior who worries for me, when he leads me in the paths of, of, of righteousness for his own name's sake, when I can lay down beside this, the... Um, the streams of living water. Why, 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 why should I ever complain? Um, anyway, because of, because of the ministry of this church, and I want to go through a list of some of our missionaries, but uh, I asked the missions committee, who do you think I should emphasize? And they said, well, all of them. And I said, well, I can't do all of them. But, uh, so I'll just focus on, on a few things, and that is, um, you know, partic I mean, you know, all of the missions month, you'll see the light of Christ. I mean, this evening with Central Virginia Justice Initiative, this evening with, uh, do, do you realize that the, uh, this Fredericksburg area, region or area is the center for re, uh, the, the Afghans, or re, uh, what's, what's the word that I want? Deborah, what do you do? 
Resettlement. There you go. De you can talk to Deborah. She's, her name was in World Magazine about it. So she's speaking this evening so with regard to resettling these Afghan refugees uh, in, in our region and community. And so, you know, we support, through your faith promise, uh, these ministries that we'll see throughout the month. But the light of Christ is shining to these Afghans. The, the light of Christ is shining in, in those who are being trafficked, the light of Christ that we'll just see even this evening. But, uh, you know, I especially wanted to mention about uh, the missions banquet and uh, Carl and Debbie Dortzbach. You know, they've been in, in missions for 50 years. And so I asked them if they would go over the course of their life over the, the missions banquet, Sunday school, Carl would be preaching on, he got involved in reconciliation between the Hutus and Tutsis, which maybe doesn't mean anything to you, but uh, there were two tribes in, in uh, Rwanda that were killing each other. And supposedly they were both Christian tr tribes, but they were killing each other. And he got involved in the reconciliation ministry um, and so he's going to preach on that the third Sunday of the month and uh, shining the light of Christ that, uh, you know, at, at the missions banquet, I said, you know, start out with when you were young missionaries and they went on a short-term mission trip, right, for a year, a short-term mission trip, and Debbie gets kidnapped and Carl has to bargain for her life. And so he'll tell, they'll tell the story about the kidnapping and... Uh, I mean, the last thing that the kidnapper said to, to Carl when he said he wasn't going to pay, and he said, well, whatever happens, it's, it's on you. Meaning, who knows what will happen to his wife. And two days later, well, I'll let him tell the story. That uh, <laughs> it's stunning, though. It's stunning. It's stunning, the, the, the whole story. At the missions banquet, uh, most of you have never heard it. But anyway, you know, the light of Christ in Eritrea, and what's, what's shocking is, is the, the same group that, that kidnapped Debbie. We, we worked with international students up in, up in Washington. And so we used to have these students come down. We, found, we, we had a man in our home who was one of the leaders of the Eritrea Liberation Front that kidnapped <laughs> Debbie. <laughs> and so we had opportunity to, to talk to him about Christ and, and so forth. And at any rate, it's just the way the Lord has crisscrossed my life or our lives. So anyway, the, the light of God is, the light of Christ is shining brightly through the witness of this church and its people. And so we would, just would plead with you to become involved and to hear what Christ is doing and uh, rejoice with us, but also, you know, recommit to Christ, recommit to his church, so that, because we are a unit together, like a military unit, you can't go AWOL because we're in a fight. And we pray that the Lord will give um, victory to us. So please pray with us. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for the privilege we have to serve you, to glorify you. Thank you so much for your word. Help us to arise and shine. Let the light of Christ shine throughout the world. And just because we've failed, that just as you restored Peter after he denied you, as you restored the other disciples who fled when Jesus was arrested, that he restored them, and they transformed the world, even after they had failed you so deeply. And so we acknowledge that there's many ways that we've failed, but we come crying out to you, praying that you would deliver us from our bondage. In Jesus' name, amen.